so good to be here with you with this evening. Um, I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, we've just even, <laughs> practically speaking, have been able to apply this in our own life uh, in the last 24 hours even, uh, multiple times over, and some parenting things. And I'll explain that here in a bit as we, as we, uh, as we unpack tonight. Tonight's talk is going to be on heart idols, the, the idols that we have in our heart, um, and really the, the root sins that cause us to sin. Uh, what, what's really in our heart, right, is what, we, uh, is what we're going to do, right? Um, so from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? We act, we do. And so, uh, like I said, over the past few weeks, though, um, uh, even Dave Patrick wonderfully taught us on repentance, uh, active and passive repentance, right? Is that what the two category? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. It's good. It's good. Good, solid stuff. We talked about this because over the, over the course of this time in the study, right, we, when you've seen the diagram, I don't have the diagram in our slides tonight, but the diagram that we've talked about is as we grow in our, uh, as before, as we become a Christian, right, we grow in our awareness of sin and we grow in the awareness of God's holiness. And we oftentimes, uh, instead of the, the gospel meeting us in between those two places, oftentimes we have a tendency to shrink the cross or uh, maybe uh, pretend the in ways that we're righteous and ways that we think we can make ourselves better with God. Or we may, um, uh, so we pretend, and what was the other one? Um, perform. perform, right? We think we can perform our ways. Uh, we can perform our way into right standing with God. Um, but two weeks ago, as Dave reminded us that repentance um, so there are two things, right, that, that Jesus has called us to do in salvation, right? The Bible says, what, is it, what, is it, what does the Bible say in order for somebody to be saved? It tells them to do what? Repent and believe, right? This is the two things that are required for salvation, repentance and belief, trusting in the righteousness of Christ and not our own. So two weeks ago, we examined the, the nature of true repentance. Do you remember that? True repentance. Uh, and this week, I want us to dive deeper into the subject of faith. So two weeks ago, we talked about repentance. This week, I want us to think, um, think deeply about faith. Um, think about this question for a moment, okay? Think about this question for a moment. It's rhetorical, okay? So you don't have to answer. What one thing... Um, what one thing should you do to grow more as a Christian? What one, what one thing should you do to grow more as a Christian? Now, oftentimes we'll, we'll, we'll think about that. If someone were to ask you that question, a colleague or, or your neighbor or your own child or something, they may ask you that question, how would you respond? Would you suggest some real basic spiritual disciplines? Read your Bible more? Or to, to pray more? Uh, maybe to, to, to repent of your sins more? Maybe to 
find yourself in community. You need to, you need to be in church. You need, to, you need to be in a community with other believers. Well, I want us to think about this for a moment in light of John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn to, turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 28 and 29, but where we find ourselves in the story here uh, in John's gospel, Jesus, just shortly before this time, maybe the day or two before, has just fed the 5,000, right? Where he's taken the, the, the bread and the fish and, and multiplied it uh, like tenfold uh, or like a hundredfold so that he could feed uh, all of those people that were there. And obviously, if you were a part of that, if you were there, you experienced that, you would be amazed too by what this man can do, right? You would be intrigued. You, you probably even would like to follow this man and, uh, and hear him teach more, see the things that he may possibly do. And that's exactly what was happening. The people were following him. They wanted to know where he was, and there was a time where they, they sought after him, but they couldn't find him because he wasn't with the disciples. And uh, we have the whole uh, intercourse at this point where Jesus walks on water. Um, and then he talks about being the, the bread of life uh, in the next section. This is where we find ourselves right now. And in John chapter 6, the crowds brought the same question that we talked about just earlier. The same question. That what was the one thing that we need to do to be doing the work of God, to, to be growing more as a Christian? And you might just find his response to be a bit surprising. Let's read the text here. John 6, 28 and 29. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Notice that they were, they were asking Jesus what they must do in order to live a life that pleases God. And Jesus could have listed many things, right? He could have said, uh, you know, he could have said, read, you know, the Torah more. He could have said, you know, you need to be gathering in your homes more. You need to be selling your possessions and giving them to the poor. You, uh, you, you could be doing all sorts of things, right? But he chose only one. He chose one thing. That the work of God is to believe. To believe. In other words, the, the Christian life is not about doing. Okay? It's not about doing. It is about believing, understanding, and getting this, uh, and getting this, uh, getting this right in our life is, is crucial to the sanctification that we're going to have and be able to experience in our life, right? This, this is crucial to understand. And say, so, listen, most of us naturally, we're doers, Right? We're, we're doers. We, 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 we gladly embrace the next thing on, on the list to do, right? The next challenge, the, the next assignment. So our pursuit of Christian maturity oftentimes produces a lot of busyness, right? We, we, we must do this task list. We must read our Bibles more. We must pray more. And they, they listen, all these are good things, right? So don't, don't, 
take me wrong here. All these things are good. We want to be doing these things and they're vitally important to our growth and sanctification. But that's not what Jesus points us to first. So, why is this so? I think it's because we are doing too much and believing too little. You see, all of us have these surface sins that are within us. And this is where we kind of shift gears a bit uh, and talk a little bit about the heart idols. Um, you see, on the, all of us have these surface sins that we have and, and, and are only, I want to uh, submit to you, are only symptoms of the deeper things in our heart, right? We just said a moment ago, even the text tells us, the Bible tells us that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? We, we, we do. Jesus' ministry was all about exposing what was going on in the hearts, right? On the outside, the Pharisees, who he, whom he predominantly was teaching to, right? And addressing, correcting. He was, they had everything perfectly, you know, perfectly on the exterior. They were, they were doing everything right. They were checking all the boxes, but the heart, right, was the one thing that was their problem. And Jesus, in his incredibly, uh, insightful way, he points to those things. And so I want to submit to you that the external sins that we have in our life are symptoms of other sins in our heart. Okay? Underneath every external sin is a heart idol. A false God that has eclipsed the, the true God in our thoughts and and our affections. And so to paraphrase um, Martin Luther, he says, uh, ultimately he says that every sin is a breaking of the first commandment, right? What is the first commandment? Yes, you have no other gods before me, right? And so um, Luther wrote um, as, and I'm just bracketed uh, this for for context, as the first commandment is the, the very first, highest and best, from which all the others proceed, so also is work. That is, faith and confidence is God's favor at all times. It is the very, is the very first, highest and best, from which all other works must proceed, exist, remain, be directed and measured. In other words, keeping God uh, primary is going to be foundational to our spiritual growth. That's what he's saying. Keeping God primary, the central uh, affection of our heart, the, the central object of our worship, keeping God central, the key to gospel-driven transformation will be learning to repent of the sin beneath the sin. Does that make sense? The, the, the primary object in our heart that we worship will be what expresses itself in our actions. Does that make sense? So what's in the heart is how we're going to think, how we're going to act, how we're going to do, what we're going to say. And so the deeply rooted idolatry 
um, and unbelief that drive more visible sin. Does that make sense? You're tracking with me, I guess. Um, let's think about this with a few practical examples, okay? Let's take the, and this is the book as we're going through the gospel-centered life. This is the primary example they use, and I thought it was good. And I'll give us some more personal examples after we unpack this for a bit. But, but, but let's take the surface sin of gossip. This, this, gossip, the talking about people behind their backs in judgmental ways or destructive ways, okay? That, that's, if we're going to define gossip, that's what it is. Um, why, why do we gossip? Why are we drawn to gossip, to talk about others in, uh, in harmful ways, in judgmental or destructive ways? And so what are we looking for that we should be finding in God? So here are some common heart idols that can manifest themselves in, uh, in the surface of sin, the, the surface of the sin gossip in our life, okay? Here's some things. The idol of approval. I want the approval of the people I'm talking to. That could be a reason. What about the idol of control? Using gossip as a way to manipulate or control others. The idol of reputation. I want to feel important. So I, so I cut down, uh, so I cut someone else down verbally. Uh, the idol of success. Someone is succeeding and I'm not, so I gossip about him or her. The idol of security. Talking about others masked my own insecurities. The idol of pleasure. Someone else is enjoying life and I'm not, so I, so I, so I attack her or I attack him. The idol of knowledge. Talking about people is a way of showing that I, that I know more. I'm in the know. I'm important, Right? Or the idol of recognition. Thinking about others gets people to notice me. Or it could be the idol of respect. That person disrespects me, so I'm going to disrespect them. You see, all of these are heart idols. These are the things that we really want or desire or love in our hearts. And so... It bubbles out of our mouth, right, and gossip. Does this make sense? That the, the idols of our heart would drive the outward sins that people can see, right? So all of these idols are false saviors that are promoting a false gospel. And every one of these things, approval, control, reputation, success, Security, pleasure, knowledge, recognition, respect, all of these things is something we already have in Jesus because of the gospel. All of these things we, we have if we are in Christ. 
But when we are not living in light of the gospel, we turn to these idols to give us what only Jesus can truly give us. So another way to identify your particular heart idols is to ask, ask yourself, what do I love? What am I trusting in? Ultimately, what am I fearful of? So for example, if, if I fear being single, being in a relationship will probably be the idol that I'm going to have in my heart that's going to get me out of the hell of singleness, right? You, anybody ever met anybody like that? If I trust having enough, security will probably be my idol. Because, I, because it promises that I'll never be without anything. That I'll never be lacking. If I love order and structure, control will probably be my idol. Because I'm in charge, I can make sure things are in order. Things are going my way. You see what I'm saying? The outward expression of our sin is driven by something deeper in our heart. And so reflecting on the sin beneath the sin shows why the gospel is essential for true heart change. This is how the gospel changes us. Changes us by giving our hearts a new affection, a new desire, a new object of worship. And it's not ourselves. It's possible to repent of surface sins for a lifetime, but yet never really address the deeper heart issues behind those surface sins. Are you tracking with me? It's possible that you can go through your whole life generically saying, yeah, I'm a sinner, but never really thinking deeply, minutely, right, about the true things in our heart, the true things deep down inside. So at the moment, at the moment I sin, I have already broken the first commandment. Does that make sense? When I sin, I, am, I have already broken the first commandment. So the things you see, there's a sin that's driven that visible sin you see. And usually... Always, not usually, always, an idol has taken God's place in my soul. And I'm trusting in that idol rather than in God to be my savior. So what happens when we're in this place? What happens? We, we, we need to apply the gospel to our life. And this is where I want to get really practical. Right? So sometimes we talk about applying the gospel to our life and it's really gray matter. Right? We never really think how we're going to, to do that. And I want us to think through this. We need to apply the gospel, one, by repenting of my deep heart idolatry and two, believing that is turning my mind towards the specific gospel promises that break the power of my 
characteristic uh, idols, whatever it may be in my life. So repenting and believing and reminding myself, uh, turning my mind towards the promises of the gospel to give me freedom over the power and the presence of those sins in my heart. According to uh, Dr. Steve Childers, he says, uh, faith <clears throat> involves learning how to set the affections of our mind and heart on Christ. Faith requires continual rehearsing and delighting in the many privileges that are now ours in Christ. So notice the two aspects of faith. Setting our affections on Christ and delighting in the privileges that are ours in Christ, that are already ours. And so I, I must worship Jesus, not my idols, and I, and I must remind myself of what is really true about me because of Jesus. And so let, let's go back to our example of gossip again. Let's imagine that I have identified respect as the dominant idol that's, that's driving me to gossip, right? I demand respect. This person's not giving me respect, so I'm going to disrespect them, right? So the idol of respect is, is the heart issue behind my gossip. After I acknowledge my sin and repent of that sin, I exercise faith in, in two ways. First, I pause and worship Jesus because he's laid aside his right to be respected. Becoming humble to the point of death. Remember Philippians chapter 2? And secondly, I remind myself of the gospel truth that I no longer need to, to crave the respect of others because I already have the approval of the creator of the universe. This, this exercise can be fairly simple in the abstract, but, but it can be much more difficult when, when thinking through this in our own sinful patterns, right? Our own sin nature. We, we think about the things in our heart. It, it can become more abstract. So I want to give you some, um, uh, I want to give you a practical example. And I think it's important that you set aside some time, whether it's right now or later on, that you set aside some intentional time to, to really think through this. I want to give you four, four ways, uh, four things that, that can help you learn really practically how to apply the gospel to your life, how to apply the gospel to the heart idols that you have. One is identify your common surface sins. So identify your common surface sins. What are the things that are, is visible? Right? If it's gossip, if it's adultery, it could, be, it could be anything, right? It could be anything that is visible, right? And then prayerfully consider what heart idols might be behind them. What, what's the, the heart idol that I have that I'm worshiping that's driving me to this visible sin, the sin behind the sin? And then three, worship Jesus for his victory over that idol. And then four, find specific gospel promises you can rely on to help defeat the power of that idol.
And I'm going to give you an example of this. And this is going to be a personal example. Can, can a pastor be open with you for a moment? Can I show you that I'm not perfect? <laughs> and I need the gospel. I, I desperately need the gospel. Um, if you've ever been around our kids, you know they have lots of energy. And they're really hard of hearing. <laughs> um, and there have been times... And I say even the practical example in the last 24 hours, um, I've lashed out in them in frustration and anger. And my wife, Sarah, uh, was, was prompt to, to point out uh, the sin of me lashing out in anger. And so I got to thinking about this. I'm sitting here preparing this Right, this talk to talk about the sin behind the sin. I'm, so I'm thinking through this t today, um, and I'm praying about even last night, lashing out at my kids in anger. And I got to thinking, what is the heart idol? What, what am I worshiping that drives me to, in frustration, to lash out at my children? Right? What, what's behind this? And, I, and I, what I've found is that I have this idol of an easy life. <laughs> this idol of wanting things to just go easily so that I don't have to deal with the hard parenting issues, right? Um, why can't you just be good and, and make things easy, right? I think that's what's really behind it. And really, it's also laziness, quite frankly. It's, it's laziness not wanting to deal with the, the hard issues um, that are there. So I have this idol in my heart. And I have, even today, praying before the Lord, God, I confess this to you, that yeah, I need help. I need, I need the gospel. I, I need grace. And so I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, how can I worship Jesus? Well, I can worship Jesus over the fact that he did not take the easy way in life. Right? Tempted all the same ways I was. With fresh, tempted to the point of frustration and anger. He suffered and betray, he, was, he was betrayed by his own friends, by his own brothers and, and disciples, right? He was betrayed by the people closest to him. Jesus did not take the easy life. And praise God that he didn't. Because he came and lived a life that I could never live and he died a death that I deserved to die and he conquered an enemy that I could not conquer myself. And he's risen from the grave and the Bible tells me again, if I repent of my sins and trust in the gospel, trust in Christ alone for my salvation, then I can be reconciled to God forever. And so knowing this, I can worship Jesus and then I can find specific gospel promises that, can that I can rely on to help defeat the power of that idol in my heart. Well, I can think about this. I can handle difficult parenting because I know God is using, one, these, these moments in my life to, to make me a better father. Two, to make me more and more into the image of his son to make me more like Jesus, to refine me, to expose these hard idols that I have. And three, to, to give me the resolve, to give me the grace needed to handle the situations that I have with my sons. Right? I, I, I can be reminded of the, 
extreme patience God has shown me in my life. And as I reflect upon the extreme patience, the benevolent patience that God has shown me, he can give me power to be patient with my sons. Here's another practical example. And this is my son. I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, a couple years back, my kids were learning, and this is sort of a, re a repetitive thing that we see in my oldest son, Luke. This is something we've observed of him. But a couple of years back, I was thinking about, we were teaching them, we had just gotten a swing set. Actually, this was last, this was last Christmas. We had just gotten this play set. I got it built. And they've never learned how to swing by themselves. They used to sit in the swing and we would have to push them, right? To make them swing. Well, my middle son, John Wicks, he's a really coordinated kid. He, he, he's got great hand-eye coordination. He just picks up on coordinating things. My oldest son is not very coordinated. And so we have this swing set. I've just gotten it up. And the two of them are sitting in each of the swings and it's not long before John Wicks figures out if you swing your legs and lean just right, I can swing myself. And he figures it out. And my, young, my oldest son, again, two years older than his younger brother, he just, he can't quite get that coordination that he needs, right? He's fine now. You know, he's a year later, he's figured it out. But he just couldn't quite get it. And he got really, really, really upset. To the point where he began to be really unkind to his brother and lash out and, and to talk destructively about his brother, about his younger brother, right? And so I was thinking about this. What, what, the thing that's perpetually coming up that we're trying to help him see in his, mind, in his heart is that he's got the idol of self-confidence, the idol of, uh, of, of security, Right? He's saying, I'm insecure about the things going on not, that, that, that are going easily for my brother, right? He gets a toy. I feel like I need that toy, right? Um, so, 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 so I'm going to be harshly critical of him in order to make me look better. And we have to remind him that Jesus gave up everything in order to come live his life here on earth, right? He gave up his heavenly throne. He gave up everything he had for a crown of thorns, a crown of mockery and disrespect, right? To, to be spat upon. All so that you can be reconciled to God, Right? I, I can worship Jesus and I can show him how to worship Jesus that he has made a way. And then I can remind my son in this gospel promise that Luke, you can live knowing that he is loved and accepted by God regardless of your successes or failures, regardless of the things you have or don't have. He can be accepted by the creator of the universe and he can be credited the righteousness of Christ if he is found in the gospel, if he, if he is found in Christ. 
So that when God looks at my son, if he is in Christ one day, and we're praying that God reconciles him, that he turns his heart, changes his heart to worship God and not, his, not these other idols of his heart. One day, if that happens, Lord willing, God will look at him and he's not gonna see the failures of my son. He's gonna see the success of Christ. And he's going to be covered in the perfect righteousness of Christ. So I'm out of time, uh, but I wanted to practically think through some, maybe exercise that with you a bit. But, but take some time. Take some time to, to evaluate the heart idols or the, the visible sins that you have in your life and take some time to think through what is driving me to this? What, what, is, what, is, what is behind the reason why I'm in this visible sin? And I would say be sure to invite others into this process of reflection uh, and repentance. As one writer put it, you, you, uh, you can't see your own face. <laughs> right? I can't see my face. You can see my face. I can't see it. Um, we need others. We need each other in order to see our own sin clearly and to deal with it honestly. So, so as you learn to live a gospel-centered life, remember that it is the essence of walking with Jesus. That's, that's the gospel-centered life, walking with Christ, Repentance and faith, listen, are not steps, um, are, not, are not just steps on the path. They are the path. Right? We have to, this is the mark of a true Christian. is someone who's constantly confessing, repenting, and believing. Confession, repentance, believing. It's not a one-off thing that you do. It's something you will do over the course of your life many, many, many times. And so, what is the work of God? It's to believe. It's to trust. To rest in what Christ has done.